0: Welcome to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and a person who has long dreamed of occupying the economy. And today's guest has been working on occupying the economy for over five decades. His books include The Cooperative Society, The Next Stage of Human History, which which he wrote in 2016, the Cooperative Solution, How the United States Can Tame receptions, Recessions, Reduce Inequity, and Protect the Environment. Um, and he wrote that book in uh, 2012, which happened to be the International Year of the Cooperative. And now um, just released a new book, Strengthening the Cooperative Community. Um, so welcome. And it's about 50 years in the co-op movement. So welcome to Food Freedom Radio, E.J. Nadu. <laughs>
1: Thank you I'm very glad to be
0: here yeah we're thrilled to have you so 50 years in the um, with a front seat on the cooperative movement
1: yeah it makes me pretty old <laughs> so tell us about your new book well um, the, as you said the name is strengthening the cooperative community and um, what I tried to do in the book was reflect on my own career in co-ops which is involved uh, being a researcher, a developer, a writer about, a teacher of, uh, a variety of different roles that I've played with co-ops over 50 years. and But focusing not just on an, being an autobiography, but focusing on uh, the lessons learned during those 50 years that hopefully can be applied and make our uh, co-op community even stronger than it has been.
0: Okay, so... Why are co-ops important?
1: Well, for me, the biggest issue is that um, for many things in our lives, we don't have much control over them, whether it's political, economic, uh, you know, other kind of activities. But with co-ops, um, people own their co-ops. They, uh, they have an uh, equal share of ownership in the co-op, and they have equal voting rights.
0: Um, You know, for inspiration, when I often do stories, uh, I happen to have the Articles of Cooperation and Bylaws for the Maringo Farmers Cooperative written in 1916, and this is half in English and half in Finnish. Do you want to talk a little about the history of co-ops in
1: Minnesota? Well, um, I'm I'm from Wisconsin. I'm your your neighboring rival across the border, Uh but... um, (laughs) But actually, there are a lot of similarities between the history of uh, the co-ops in our three states. Um, the the uh, movement you know, goes back to the 1800s and um, in, in both our states, and there was a very strong Scandinavian and Finnish influence on the formation and development uh, of the co-ops in, in the three states. So uh, we... Uh, of the the three most cooperative states in terms of you know, percentage of of co-op members and, and co-ops in the economy are Minnesota, Wisconsin, and California. Believe it or not, uh, so we're, uh, we're we're the big thing in the U.S. when it comes to co-ops.
0: Right, and so I'm going to back up and share some of your story because you've been having you've been active in the movement for 50 years. So tell us how this all started for you.
1: Yeah, for me, it was kind of a, a, a strange story in a way. I, uh, I graduated from college in 1970 and went into the Peace Corps. Mm-hmm. And you and... graduated from
0: Harvard with a uh, with a magna cum laude from Harvard in in, in 1970.
1: I did. I wasn't going to brag about that. Well, we got to brag a little bit. (laughs) Um, So I was in a fishing village in Senegal in the Peace Corps, and um, the fishermen in the village were very good at catching fish, but not very good at marketing them. They ended up selling their catches to middlemen, who would then deliver them to the major markets of the country. And my idea was to... Have the fishermen of the village develop a co-op that would market their fish themselves, all the way to Dakar, Kowalak, other big cities in, in the country, and there, and then by doing that, get a higher percentage of the profit from the sale of their fish. Well, I think the idea was a very good one, but I wasn't very good at implementing the idea and being a. a basically a young kid who didn't speak the local language very well. Um, I uh, I talked to the the, the fishermen, uh, but the idea never took off, and we never did. By the time I left the Peace Corps a couple of years later, uh, we hadn't developed a uh, fishing fish market and co-op in the village. So in, in that regard, my effort was a failure, but where it was a success for me was that, I got very excited about the idea of uh, the way that co-ops could help people um, uh, improve, in this case improve their incomes and their quality of life. But uh, there the, are a variety of ways in which co-ops could help people have a, a better better lives. And so when I went on to graduate school after the Peace Corps, um, I focused on co-ops as the thing that I studied. At the University of Wisconsin, and um, in my professional life, ever since then. So that's my 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 co-op history started with a failure, and but 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 it got me motivated to learn more about it and to be active in them for the rest of my life.
0: Right, and now um, many of us are aware of uh, fair trade, and equal exchange, and peace coffee, and a lot of those types of. Um, fair trade evolved after that um, in the
1: 70s. Yes, that's right. Um, the, uh, the, for example, um, Equal Exchange that you mentioned is, um, is the major uh, fair trade uh, wholesaler in the United States. They, they play a role between producers and producer co-ops in developing countries and consumer co-ops in um, in the United mainly in the United States. So, for example, um, in in the Twin Cities area, I think you have what seven or so food co-ops,
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and um, all of them uh, are involved in um, purchasing fair trade produced um, agricultural products from developing countries. And as you mentioned, coffee, of course, is is a big one of those and uh, the, the, the interesting thing there is that what i was trying to do in my village in senegal was to help the the fishermen get a higher return on their on their fishing activities well what fair trade does is give uh, farmers in developing countries a higher proportion of the value of their coffee bananas Um, chocolate, whatever other product is being fair traded. Part of the contract between um, the producer co-ops and equal exchange and then the consumer co-ops that buy their products and and uh, not just uh, consumer co-ops but all kinds of consumer organizations that buy their products is that the farmer gets a higher percentage of the market value of their of their agricultural products than uh, is is the norm around the world.
0: You know, I want to try to, this conversation can seem so dry, and yet it is so important, so vital. And our economy, in many ways, are structured in a way that just, I mean, A, it's causing climate change. We've had these record heat exchanges. We're in the sixth mass extinction of the planet. There's all these problems, and a lot of these problems are the result of our economic structures. And so the co-op movement is a different
1: type of economic structure. Yes, it is. Um, I think that one, of the, one simple way to refer to it is that um, uh, our world economy is, is based on um, putting profit as the dominant thing that companies try to get. In, in, their, in their business activities. Uh, with co-ops, um, profit is second. The primary thing that co-ops attempt to uh, carry out in their activities is to provide services to people. And they have to make a profit in order to survive. But service is number one and profit is number two. Whereas with the most for-profit businesses in the world, their, their name says it all. They're for profit. And uh, in some cases, um, they're they are not providing very good services and they're providing uh, a variety of side effects in their business activity. When when profit is first, um, that often means that corners are cut and things are done in the environment that uh, are, are bad for all of us. So the... Just to reiterate, the, the the core of our world economy is is based on generating more and more profit, whereas the core of the cooperative economy is based on providing quality services, sustainable services.
0: Right, and it gets to this question of what is the economy for. I mean, you know, do we just want to you know we make profit? Even as you were talking, I, I was thinking of the uh, uh, of the story of. Um, Christmas Carol um, and Scrooge is like, mankind is your prophet. Whereas we know that the economic structures that we're living in right now is just resulting in so much suffering, and we can create a better future. And that's the point of your book. So we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. We're talking with E.G. Uh, e. Anadu and uh, author of The Cooperative Community. Say, go ahead. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and a person who has long dreamed and worked towards occupying the economy, owning the economy. And with us today is someone who's been active in the cooperative movement for over 50 years, E.G. Nadu. Uh, And uh, you've written several books, including your most recent one, Strengthening the Cooperative Community. Um, Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. Thank you. So um, you were in the Peace Corps, you did a a PhD on um, on co-op movement or or on cooperative structures. Tell me a little bit about your doctorate.
1: Okay, well, um, as you said, I was in the Peace Corps and and that's where I got interested in uh, cooperatives in the first place. So when I came back to the States and enrolled in sociology in graduate school, I focused on cooperatives during my years of getting my PhD. And my PhD was on farming cooperatives in Zambia. So uh, I was involved twice in Africa with co-ops uh, in, in the 1970s.
0: So talk I mean, there's this word that carries so much trauma with its colonization and exploitation. And so the cooperative movement is a counter to that.
1: Yes. uh, In in fact, it's interesting because when when I was doing uh, when I was in the Peace Corps and and doing my dissertation work, um, a lot of Africa was just becoming independent. You know, there are now over fifty independent countries in Africa, but um, back in the sixties, there were very very few uh, independent African countries. So uh, my involvement with with co-ops in in Africa kind of coincided with the independence movement uh, in that, in that, on that continent.
0: And connect this, connect the dots for us between the role of independence and cooperation.
1: Well, it's, it's not really that simple a a question to answer, but um, when, when, it, it was a it was a huge deal for um, all these countries in africa to to gain independence mostly in the 70s late, late 60s and 70s um, and um, in a way co-ops represents a way in which um, farmers, consumers, workers can take more control of their economic lives Through cooperatives. So there's a parallel between countries becoming independent and democratic uh, and people taking democratic control over the parts of the economy that they're involved with.
0: And I mean, so I want to, I know this might get a little heady, but um, I want to talk about economic structures of our current system. And, you know, there, there's sometimes things become so prevalent, they almost become invisible. And so when we look at, I'm going to look at a new story from this week, uh, corn prices are down because rain happened. So yay, rain happened. Corn farmers should be happy. Rain happened. Um, and now it looks like they're going to have a great harvest. Um, but instead, now corn prices are down. So because it rained, it's bad for the bad. For farmers, so there's a lot of things about the way we structure our economy that is not really doesn't really make much sense. Would you agree with that?
1: Well, I certainly would. Um, for for example, um, as we, we actually talked about this a little bit before the show, but um, most of the world economy is is based on corporations seeking to make profit um, by um, Producing and selling goods, whether it's agricultural products or um, manufactured products or anything, so that so that the profit motive is what underlies our economic system worldwide. Uh, but when we put profit first like that, we often ignore other things. Uh, let me let me give an example from uh, the last half of the 20th century. Um, you'll recall that. Uh, that the uh, cigarette industry, the tobacco industry, um, was uh, very much a part of our lives in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. Um, We had a very high percentage of the population who smoked. Why did they smoke? Well, they smoked because they were encouraged to smoke. We had all kinds of advertising making smoking glamorous and all that other stuff. Well, it turned out that the tobacco companies knew early on, way back in the '50s, that cigarettes were bad for our health, uh, caused lung cancer and other kind of health problems. But those those facts were kind of concealed for decades and decades. And it wasn't until really the the late '90s, early 2000s, that it became apparent that cigarettes were bad for our health, and there were there were penalties. Uh, made on the tobacco companies uh, to reduce their advertising to kids and overall to be honest about the detrimental effects of their products. But the underlying thing here was that producing and marketing cigarettes was very profitable to the industry. And they did pretty much everything they could uh, to hide the fact that it was causing a lot of damage.
0: And we can we can now jump to so many issues if we look at the economic structure and the big one of course is climate change. It doesn't make sense. Um, solar and wind can actually produce energy for cheaper than other um, than than oil and gas, and yet we're not moving fast enough. Even though the evidence is overwhelming that we are um, damaging our home to an unfathomable result, all because of this economic structure that we have that is prevalent. In our global right. world,
1: and and that's where I was going to go after the uh, the tobacco example. The the a far bigger worldwide crisis confronts us right now uh, because of climate uh, problems of climate change due to carbon emissions and and other emissions of of uh, gases into the atmosphere. And again, we have a parallel story where uh, the industry has known for decades. Uh, that um, oil and natural gas and coal especially is the worst of all, Uh, were were damaging the environment and increasingly going to be causing problems. But for for a long period of time, um, those facts were concealed. And, in fact, um, they're still being contested by... Many in the uh, oil and, and natural gas industry. So when you put profit first ahead of the well-being of people and the well-being of the planet, you end up with bad results.
0: Yeah, and so so the cooperative movement. You you have a book. Do you you, you think that a, a cooperative, a cooperatively based structural economic system would work better than a competitively based structural economic system?
1: Well, uh, again, that's kind of a tricky question because um, cooperatives also work, they, they, um, they are in the international market economy. You know, cooperatives compete against for-profit companies, they compete against each other. So what, what's really the, the core issue as far as I'm concerned is what are the underlying purposes of the business? And with, with for-profit, it's making a profit. The cooperative. It's providing a service. Cool. And
0: We're going to need it, to take a um, break. We'll be right back. We're talking about the Cooperative Society Project with E.J. Nadu. Thank you so much for listening. the one. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. I'm Laura Hedlund, a student of permaculture, a person who knows cheap food is not cheap, and someone who uh, is working towards occupying the economy and having a structure, an economic structure that is kind and makes sense. And one of the ways of doing that is through um, cooperation. Uh, With us right now is the author of several books, E.J. Nadu. Um, His most recent book is called Strengthening the Cooperative Community. Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio. Thank you. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about this uh, book, Strengthening the Cooperative
1: Community. Well, um, as, as we discussed before, I, I've been involved with cooperatives for 50 years. And uh, what, I, what I try to put into the book are some of the main lessons that I've learned along the way, uh, lessons that can be used to help us uh, be even more cooperative in the way that we interact with each other and, and in which we work in our economy. And I, I do that by giving a, a number of examples of uh, cooperative development both in our own country, in Europe, in developing countries, in Africa and Asia. Uh, I give all kinds of examples, and then I extract lessons from those examples about how we can do cooperative cooperatives better.
0: So give us some examples.
1: Okay, one that uh, that I kind of like uh uh, is is from my uh, international research in 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 Africa. I I did about twenty five projects in which I was the I was hired as a consultant to evaluate cooperative development projects in a, a number of different countries. And one of them was in Mozambique. And the project that I evaluated there was uh, a, a project to involve small scale farmers in the growing of uh, soybeans that were produced without um, genetic materials involved in their production. And the neat thing for me about that project is that it was uh, largely sponsored by a Norwegian co-op that was looking for soybeans to to purchase in developing countries and and bring back to Norway. Uh, So they put a bunch of money into this project. They hired a U.S.-based development organization, and uh, were very successful in assisting 5,000. Just this is just in the first wave of the project, assisting 5,000 small-scale farmers to successfully produce these soybeans and to market them. The only problem with that was that they they sold their soybeans in Mozambique to poultry farmers who at the same time were not poultry farmers, poultry processors, who were also growing at that time in Mozambique. So as a result, the Norwegian Farmers Co-op didn't get any of those beans. However, they were very excited and positive about the project because of the fact that they had been helpful in assisting these Mozambican farmers to grow a new product and to become better off economically. So, uh, they eventually ended up buying their soybeans from Brazil. Uh, but the, the moral of that story for me really is that, uh, a, a cooperative in a developed country, Norway, uh, assisted a number of cooperatives in a developing country in Mozambique to become successful. And they were happy about doing that because they were um, expanding the cooperative movement and improving the uh, economic conditions of these farmers in Mozambique. So I like that story.
0: Yeah, that's nice. And so I know, in, um, uh, uh, talk a little bit more about your work at the Cooperative Development Services.
1: Okay. Uh, when I got back from my uh, Peace Corps and, and dissertation work in, in Africa, I ended up working on cooperative development in the United States uh, for quite a while. Beginning in 1985, I was the director of an organization called Cooperative Development Services, which was based up in the upper Midwest. And we provided uh, development assistance to farming co-ops, food co-ops, worker co-ops, uh, quite a variety of cooperatives. The organization is still in existence, so 85 to now, that's how many years? Mm-hmm. Uh, 30, and I, I, 36 years the organization has been around.
0: Yeah, and they have a beautiful vision. The vision is we share a vision of people working together cooperatively and responsibly to achieve their social and economic well-being through organizations they own and control. Um, inclusive, democratic economies through a cooperation.
1: Yes, that's a very good mission statement, isn't
0: it? Yeah, it is, and in um, um, one of your books is has such an optimistic title that that uh, that um, and now I'm going to find it, but um, that the cooperative society is the next stage of human history.
1: Yes, well, um, I do have a positive orientation toward co-ops, and um, the, uh, I as we've been talking in this conversation um the the economy whether in, in a community or a state or a country or a, around the world the primary goal of the economy should be to meet the needs of human beings without damaging the environment pretty straightforward simple thing to do um not that simple to do actually but uh that's the kind of message that that mission statement from Cooperative Development Services has, uh, that uh, as a cooperative development organization, it is trying to help uh, develop co-ops to be good providers of of needs that humans have uh, and to do so in a way that's sustainable and not damaging to our health or to the environment.
0: So I'm going to read a comment um, about that book. And this comment was written by the grandson of uh, one of the founders of uh, Lando Lakes, uh, Michael Beinner I'm hoping I'm saying that correctly. But he, he wrote this. Um, EJ, E.G. highlights the problems of concentrated economic power in the U.S. It is incompatible with political and economic decision-making. We've had 237 years on an economic roller coaster, largely because of capitalism and its boom bust cycles. That's okay. yeah,
1: that was actually a, a comment written about um, a book that I wrote in uh, 2012, but um, I would still say it's an important message today. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it is. And then, um, and, and then you you question whether big business is truly a better innovator. I mean, part of the myth is that big business gives us great innovation, but does it?
1: Well, uh, there's been quite a bit of research on on on, on where n- new inventions and innovation come from. Um, you know, even even companies that ended up being monster companies today often had their starts as very small companies. Uh, and, uh, so to equate innovation and entrepreneurship with large companies is, is, is wrong. That isn't, that isn't where, where our, our creativeness in business development occurs. It usually occurs in, um, university laboratories or, um, garages or, uh, or small businesses or just ideas that individuals have. Um, it's it's not a product of big business for the most part.
0: Yeah, and then um, you also have some called cooperative society project. Do you want to talk about the cooperative society project?
1: Sure, um, th- that's something that's kind of evolved out of my out of my interest in cooperatives, and the idea is that uh, you know, cooperatives are actually a business form. Um, as we've said, they're a business form. It puts services ahead of profit, and the cooperative society project, which uh, which I'm involved with, um, looks at ways in which uh, we can act cooperatively in other parts of our lives, uh, in, including the economy, but in healthcare and social activities, in in taking care of our environment, uh, in maintaining a reasonable population on the planet so it expands the idea of cooperation from a, just a business activity to all aspects of our lives
0: and I, I like one of the things that says on your website is that there are three core premises um, to the project uh, one is that there's adequate resources for all human beings to experience a decent quality of life do
1: you believe that yes I do Um uh, the, the thing about that is is that um, we, we, we have, um, uh, as kind of advances made over the centuries, uh, we have become very proficient at growing food, um, developing successful health care programs, um, providing all kinds of services and products to ourselves as individuals, we haven't become so good at distributing them to where they are needed the most. So what what I was saying in that quote is, is that we have the ability to take care of ourselves in all these different ways, but we aren't applying it successfully yet.
0: Right. And one of the things I've heard a lot of other people talk about, and I know I was raised with this, uh, we had this idea 30 years ago that the future was going to be like the Jetsons. We're trying to figure out what to do with all our leisure time because the productive gains... But instead of those gains being shared by all, you have you know two multi billionaires now racing this particular month as to who's going to be the first multi billionaire in space. <laughs> so it's like, how do we, how do we, um, you know, how do we create a, a fair and just world for all?
1: Right, and I um, again, that's a big question, but uh, a lot of it does come back to the economic issue that we were talking about before. When, when our economy is dominated by a, a relatively small number of large corporations and the individuals that own those corporations, um, that's not going to be a very effective way to meet the broad needs that we have around the planet. So um, one of the things that need to be done is to limit the power uh, of, of large corporations. That can be done in a variety of ways through Antitrust legislation through a fair taxation system, uh, both of the individuals who are making all kinds of money off those businesses, but on the corporations themselves. And then on the other side of the ledger, um, by building up businesses like cooperatives that put service first ahead of profits and they're geared toward meeting human needs as their top priority rather than Generating profit for themselves,
0: and are you optimistic that that those things can be passed and that we can move towards that world?
1: Well, um, optimistic might be a little strong. I, I, I think it's possible, but you know, one of the things that we need to think about is that humans. Um, as a species have the ability to shape the future we're going to come back on that concept
0: we're going to need to take a break we're going to come back on the concept are we agents of history um, or are we history's powerless subjects and do we get to choose that so we're going to take a break we're talking with E.G. Nadu um, author of several books on cooperative behavior Welcome back to Food Freedom Radio, where we plan to nurse the – yeah, won't we all come on and play? Um, We're talking today with E.G. Nadu, author of several books, his most recent, Strengthening the Cooperative Community. He also has – or works with a group called the Cooperative Society Project. And – um, we were talking before we went on break. Um, one of the three core premises of this project is that um, achieving goals does not depend on forces outside of our control. We have the power to shape the conditions of our lives and uh, and those of future generations. We are not the agents of history, nor we are the agents of history, not as powerless subjects. That's beautiful. I mean, sometimes I doubt it, but but it's really beautiful, and I I do ultimately believe that we do create the world we want, and so right now, I'm feeling like I'm waking up to a lot of things I don't want in my planet. Climate change, extinction of species, injustice, um, a lot of stress, anxiety, depression.
1: Yes. Um, All of those things. and uh, The the point of that that quote that you just gave is that um, we, um, for a large part of our history as a species, which goes back almost 300,000 years, um, we have been the object of, uh, of things happening to us rather than being active in making things happen in a direction in which we'd like to go. So in a way, it is sort of a... Uh, uh, you you, you, you use, I think, the word waking up to the fact that, uh, well, first of all, we have a lot of problems. But secondly, uh, we can take steps to reduce those problems. And um, that is a major theme, I think, of of all of the books that I've written, is that uh, we don't just have to sit by and let, let history happen to us. We can be active in shaping our own futures. And, and again, that, when you come back to the cooperative movement, that's a key thing about cooperatives. They are uh, they are democratically owned and controlled by their members. That means that if, if you are part of a co-op or if you create a co-op with some, some other people, you, you play an active role in the way that that co-op operates, develops, the prior, priorities it sets, and so on. So you are not just a passive recipient of someone else's activities. You are active in your own change. And that can apply to all facets of our lives.
0: Right. And so um, for 50 years, you've been active in the co-op movement. Let's talk just briefly about what is a co-op. I know there's seven cooperative principles, um, but what, what do you see as a co-op? How would you define a co-op?
1: Well, uh you're right there are seven co-op principles and um you you can find them online just look up cooperative principles or you can look in the back of my book and you can find them there too but um the the the, the basic idea is as i just said that a cooperative is a business that's owned and democratically controlled by its members that's the fundamental thing that makes a cooperative a cooperative but uh there're a couple other factors in in the, in a, in a co-op that might be of interest to your listeners, and that is uh, the the sixth and seventh uh, um, cooperative principles are number six, uh, cooperation among cooperatives. In other words, rather than seeing all the other businesses out there as your enemy and you're trying to compete with them, cooperatives, uh, one of the goals of cooperatives is to work together. Uh, I mentioned before the Norwegian co-op uh, that was assisting a a number of soybean farmers in Mozambique to form a cooperative. Uh, another example that I find really interesting is that producer co-ops in developing countries uh, provide coffee, bananas, and other kinds of items under a fair trade system, and many of the intermediary organizations – between the producer co-ops and consumers uh, are worker co-ops like Equal Exchange is a large fair trade co-op in the United States and they in turn uh, provide uh, access to these food co-op products from developing country, countries to the food co-ops in the Twin Cities and in Madison, Wisconsin, wherever you might be. So you've got kind of three levels of co-ops, producers, uh, a worker, intermediary co-op, and consumer co-ops, all working together. Yeah. And the, the seventh um, cooperative principle is uh, care for community, that the cooperatives should build right into the way they operate, uh, care for their community, and including trying to create sustainable communities uh, rather than uh, taking actions that are destructive. Well, you know, I'm, I'm
0: going to jump because um, a little bit. We'll see. I'm like Finland. Um, Finland actually got named one of the happiest countries in the world recently. And someone was telling me it's, it's because I mean, they, they believe in um, we all do better when we all do better. I mean, they're deeply grounded in that type of value system. And, and so this hyper competition, which, which billionaires could be first in space, um, regardless of if the planet's burning, um, it really isn't working very well. It doesn't make us happy. And, and so kind of moving to a cooperative society. Um, and, uh, I'm going to give you one more minute to talk about your books, but I want to briefly mention today is Saturday, July 10th, and there's the co-op farm tour, um, will be going on from 10 to 4 on Saturday, July 10th. And you can get information, um, find out which farms are open to tour. That's coopfarmtour.com. Great to get out and visit some farms directly. And um, E.J. Nadu, what else? This is our last minute. Is there anything else you'd like to say?
1: Well, I think the concluding point that I would emphasize is that, um, as we've been saying all along during this conversation, is that our co-ops are designed to be service organizations to provide a benefit to their members, whether they're consumers, producers, workers, and the community as a whole. And um, the more we can move our world economy toward this kind of an approach of, of putting service ahead of profits, or, you know, recognizing that you got to make a profit, but on the other hand, putting services first, um, that's the kind of change we need in order to make um, a better, fairer world,
0: and the main aspiration of this book is to expand the cooperative movement.
1: Yes, and uh, you can you can buy the book or get it free uh, from our website, the Cooperative Society website. You can get a free PDF file of the book there. Excellent, um, and see what you think.
0: See what you think, and what's the website for that again?
1: Well, I, just put the words "the Cooperative Society." Into your uh, search engine, and you'll get it.
0: And you'll get it. And it, well, I thank you so much, EG NADU, N uh, A D E A U. Thank you so much for joining us on Food Freedom Radio, and thank you for listening. And remember, the Co op Food Tour, Saturday, July 10th from 10 to 4. Have an awesome week.